Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host today, Travis Tyler, and uh, I have joining me today several hosts and one guest host. And so I'm going to start with the the crew, you know, the usual subjects, and then we'll get to our special guest host here today. I have Jaron Street with me. So how are you doing, Jaron? Doing well. Uh, Pastor Jacob Gwynn and... Matthew Jacobs, who's with us here today. How are you, brothers? Well, doing good, man. And then it's my privilege to introduce to the podcast one of my longest standing friends in ministry, Pastor Neil Nelson, who pastors as Associate Pastor of Adult Ministries at Bible Evangelical Free Church. And for those of you in the mountains that are unaware of the E Free Church, don't be scared of them. They're basically Northern Southern Baptist, right? They're <laughs> when you say that's fair, Neil, I mean, they're like first cousins theologically and, you know, they're a good solid church. So good. Solid hey, church. When Big Al wanted to steal some great preachers for uh, the Southern Seminary, he stole a lot of them from Trinity, our seminary. So, oh, yeah, so definitely we do well together. Yeah, they're so, you know, we're reunited and it feels so good. So anyway, uh, we're we're actually here today, even though we're all good friends and having a good time doing this. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna actually talk about a tough subject today. And um, this past week, and by the way, today's date is May the thirteenth that we're recording this. Uh, last week on Thursday, tragic news: uh, Darren Patrick, uh, who was a beloved pastor by many. Uh, died in a where we don't have all the details the church released that it was a shotgun uh, blast to the head self-inflicted not clear if it was intentional or unintentional and uh, Darren's story is interesting because if we were to rewind the tape uh, we would see a very young successful pastor in the St. Louis area planted the Journey Church in 2002 with around 30 people and then the church just explodes and 12, what it was, it was at seven campuses and 4,000 people later, uh, we see Darren Patrick get into a moral failure. Um, and one of the reasons that I have Neil on here with us today is because uh, Neil had his childhood pastor. You grew up in Chicago, right? That's that accent you're hearing, by the way. Chicago. It's Chicago. But his parents were from Alabama, so he's actually truly Southern. Don't hold that against him. He introduced me. I will say this, though, about Chicago. The hot dogs are like in a class of their own in Chicago. Like, there is no other place in the world that has hot dogs like Chi-Town. So, uh, it's good it, the beef. Yeah, man. It's good. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. I'm a fan of the Chicago dog. But um, you, had a, you had a pastor growing up, very, very good preacher, uh, was he did a great job from uh, your perspective, and there was a moral failing, correct? Now, do you want to talk uh, about that at all? Yeah, so it, it happened um, after I was in college. I, I believe I was even in seminary um, when, when the information or news came out about it, and so so I don't have a lot of first information about the details, nor should I. And I can say that that I, you know, I, I'm I'm good friends with um, some of his children, and and so it. it, it 
it was a strange experience because, because just as you said, he is a guy that I looked up to. And, and in a lot of ways, I think most guys in ministry do it. They, they look at their pastors they had as a kid as somebody they want to emulate, someone they want to be like in a lot of ways. And he had, he had a phenomenal impact on my life and on the life of my family, my siblings, my parents. And, and you're trying to work through what, what, is, what, is you, what are the things you hear that, that went on? How does that affect how you're supposed to see the impact he had on your life? And so, so definitely questions I was asking um, and, and, and part of the process of walking through that and hearing about it. Uh, but it, yeah, a difficult thing. And, and I want to be careful though, and, and just mention that, that obviously what I went through personally uh, was nothing compared to how hard it would have been on his wife, his family, and, and those who were, were, were related to him. And so, yeah, it, but it was, it was a hard thing and something you still think about to this day and the impact that had. Uh, no doubt um, the impact he had in your life, you know, even the most godly of men are still men at best. Uh, back to the Darren Patrick story, there is a, there is a very, you know, there's kind of been a trend before even Darren, after Darren Patrick's fall. Uh, James McDonnell, who was very popular in the Chicago area, recently had a moral failure and was dismissed. Um, Mark Driscoll was dismissed in Seattle, for those that are familiar with him, very well-known megachurch pastor. Uh, for those in more of our circles in Southern Baptist life, Dr. Seals was dismissed for a moral failure at uh, Southern Seminary, as well as Dr. Reed. And we won't get into the details of anyone's uh, of those, uh, even though we know some of them, or you probably could find some of them if you are interested. We're more interested in the topic of how how it affected the church. And so, you know, I know, for example, in... James McDonald's case, I think that church kind of went on, but in Mark Driscoll's case, I think that church collapsed. <laughs> uh, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, in Driscoll's case, the unique thing was that uh, you know Mars Hill was was so connected to him and his name. I think when things were set up, so that when he left at the end of the, that year, everything had to basically close up shop. And at the same time, I think a couple campuses actually continued to survive and just became autonomous. But for the most part, the whole Mars Hill network just closed down. And then, go ahead. I'm trying to sit there and try to find the, uh, there it is, the Gospel Coalition article. So oh. back in 2017, the Gospel Coalition wrote an article about life after Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. And that several of the churches, I talked about the, you know, the hardship they hit. But afterwards, like several of the places, several of the churches became their, the satellite campuses became their own individual churches and talked about how the, the pain that it had to go through. But then like, actually the title was like the tidal wave of hurt. Um, but then they talked about how going through all that, how the church is actually healthier now than it was before. Interesting. Um, so like it, it hurt at the beginning, but then after a little bit of time, like the church started to boom again. Yeah, the, probably the most well known from that was uh, was Jeff Vanderslut. Uh, he wrote the that bu- the book, uh, you know, Gospel Frequency, yeah. Fluency, and uh, I, I know that his his campus became autonomous, and they were able to kind of bounce back. But I know that several of the campuses had closed down, and um, you know, it's kind of a hard thing. But but kind of getting back to Darren, I think the unique thing is you mentioned all those guys and. Uh, different guys had different moral failures, but I think the unique thing about Darren Patrick, and especially why we're talking about that today, it, that I, at least I think so, is the fact that 
even though he had the, his moral failing, uh, there was this clear process of repentance and restoration and had a group of men around him that was pouring into him. There was a whole process that when you hear about some of the other stories, there either was no process. Some of them either left the church, left the faith, or just kind of, you know, hit restart without actually dealing with any of the, those sin issues. And so I think that's what's so unique about Darren as we talk about this is the fact that there was a, a clear restoration process that's even been documented uh, online and things like that. So yeah, we may put those in the show notes for the, for the make it easier to find. Neil, do you, do you have any thoughts on uh, watching up close and personal the effects that uh, the moral failure of the, the church you were a part of had on the church body, anything that you would share as an insight as to how the church did after that? Yeah, I, I think it's really hard. And again, our church was nothing like any of those larger churches in terms of the ability for, for the pastor's personality to take on such a big uh, piece of the, the church's identity as a whole. And yeah, I think, I think any church is going to begin to identify with their pastor. I think, I think he had been at the church for well over 20 years. And so, so of course, the church is going to take on a lot of who he is and, and going to be driven by his leadership. So I think for everybody, there's a, there's a huge piece of identity um, that, that the church is asking about, again, just like I did, what does it mean for, for how they've been a, a blessing in our own lives? How do we process what that meant? But I also, I, I think there's, you know, and some of this may be the reflection that, that comes with, with being years removed from it, is, is you think in all of those cases, um, I think there were probably evidences that, that people would point to and say, we saw this or we saw that. And yet you always assume that because they're your pastor, they're okay. And and in reality, those evidences were speaking to to some of the problems that were there. That we we were just seeing the tips of those icebergs, and there was a whole lot underneath the surface that was going on. And and I you know I think that uh, Paul David Tripp's book Dangerous Calling really to me is is one of those huge huge books on on reminding the pastor. But I think it's good for the church to remember your pastor is a fellow follower of Jesus with their own sin they're going to be wrestling with. And it is, it's very dangerous to, to be put in a place where you're not allowed the space to be a Christian and to talk about the own sin, your own sin that you need to put to death and crucify on a daily basis. And, and looking back, I think there was a lot of that, that, that you look up to your pastor. I, I, and again, I want to be careful with details because I, I'm dear friends with this family and I don't want to tell stories that aren't mine to tell. But, but his, his work hours were an ongoing conversation of the leadership of the church. Um, and yet, yet no one ever did a lot, I think, to, to care for him when he was probably putting in more hours than he should have been um, until you look back and you say, I wish we could have done more to support or to be there and to help with that. I, I can remember I was at a lock-in when I was in middle school, and at three in the morning, he showed up at the church to go work in the offices. And you just think, holy cow, my pastor is incredibly dedicated. But in reality, probably a better perspective would say, hey, is everything okay with that? Yeah, this is a great segue. Um, I'm going to reference the Patrick interview with Ed Stetzer for a few quotes to talk about here. I'm interested here because we have a lot of folks that listen to our podcast who are pastors, and I want to talk about what leads up to a a moral failure in a pastor's life. And if you die, if you go back and kind of do an autopsy on you know, uh, one of these moral failures, which, which we have here between Stetzer and Patrick, 
And he talks here about how um, he was ministering and kind of neglected his relationship with Christ. And he, he points out something that I found very interesting in the, in, in the interview. Ed Stetzer asks, why did you implode? Uh, Patrick asks, answers and says, uh, there were several reasons, but one that stands out most is my lack of healing with regard to my abusive dad. My dad died eight months before my sin was exposed. And then he goes on to say that something within him broke when his dad died. And uh, he, he even says here in that word, something broke in me when he died. I should have told our leaders I needed time off to grieve, gotten intense counseling. Instead, I kept going, skimming over the surface of my grief and rapidly falling apart internally. Um, there is a sense in which pastors and, and, you know, I hope you're listening here today, you can be falling apart internally and still push, pushing forward full steam. Uh, Neil's story points out that's an issue there. And it's interesting to me because he goes on and he says in this thing, and, I, and we're probably going to do a whole episode on this, but he just said, I thought that if I was gospel-centered and had good theology, my emotions would fall in place. And that's not really what happened. He kind of divorces the two. I'm just kind of curious what, I found that part of the interview very striking uh, to me because I think we have all as pastors told ourselves that at points. Wouldn't you brothers agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, you know, I know some of us we've had to, to deal with or be around uh, some sort of moral failure or friend or anything like that. But um, there is always this assumption that even though my intimacy with the Lord may be waning, right, as long as I'm continuing to, to plug in and, and serve the church and, and serve the serve our Savior, then then I'll be OK. Right. Or if I kind of keep the right theology, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in check. But the, the reality is, is, um, you know, without you spending that quality time, you know, in the word and, and in communion with the father through prayer and things like that, then you're, you're driving a wedge between, between yourself and the Lord and you're, you're more susceptible to falling. Well, and I think if we, if we look back here and say, what, what, if we try to pump the brakes here and say, what happened with Darren? all the way back with the moral failing, not what happened within the last week and a half. Um, he missed two, two great opportunities and two things the Lord had provided. One, the Lord's intimate relationship with us. But then second of all, look what he says here. He didn't share with any of the leaders what was going on internally. Which brings the next question. There's probably a lot of our listeners here that are in single elder model churches. You're the single pastor that's there. Who do you turn to, brothers, when, you, when you're falling apart internally? Who do you turn to for help? I mean, can you uh, – I was reared in the days where my mentoring pastors looked at me square in the eye and said, you can't be friends with church members. Church members are not your friends. Uh, first, you know, so who do you turn to? I guess, first of all, is that correct? And then second of all, who do you turn to? So. You know, it, it's interesting you, you phrase it that way, and I'll, I'll use this as kind of a segue, is, you know, Darren Patrick had a, a podcast that was meant to encourage other pastors. And one of the last podcasts he did was about friends and ministry and how he grew up under that same mantra of uh, you can't have friends in the church. And he, he tried to be somewhat guarded. 
and and eventually he after all this he had to kind of break that down and try to to have friends both within the church and outside. And I think the reality is is you know as pastor you know you know there's there's got to be people in in your church body that you are close to that you can share with and talk with. I know there's a couple guys in my church I like to get coffee coffee with at least once a month or once every two months and just talk about you know what God is really sharing in my life and speaking to me through His Word and uh, seeing how things are going in their life as well, but. But it's also helpful having, I think, other brothers who are in ministry and uh, who can who can talk with you and encourage you. And uh, even in those dark moments, whether it's a failure or not, or just hard days of ministry, right, uh, to kind of counsel and encourage and exhort you in God's word. Yeah, and I think it's important. I, I found in my own ministry, I, I had a guy say this to me uh, last Thursday. Um, he said, Neil, you, you have a tendency to, to share things about yourself. I had, I'd shared a story about getting angry at, at one of my daughters. And he said, you have a tendency to share things about yourself that are kind of surprising that most people don't want to share. And, and, and a part of what I have found is, is, is the more we can be appropriately open with the struggles we have with sin, the less power they're going to have over us. And so there is a level, there's a level of, of trying to lead by example in that, but there's also a level of me wanting to confess my sin to brothers so that that sin doesn't continue to hide and sort of have some sway in my heart or in my mind or life. And so, so I think sometimes a part of our problem is, is before we get to that moral failure, and even if you think of that term, when we say moral failure, we all understand in this conversation that we're talking about something large enough for a guy to need to leave his church. But at the, if, if, we could, if we could get fancy and call them micro failures, I think on a day-in, day-out basis, we, we as pastors and as human beings have, have failures in, in our, our holiness and in our pursuit of Jesus that need to be confessed and dealt with so that they don't grow and become moral failures that can destroy marriages, destroy discipleship, and, and yes, destroy our, our career ministry as well. And, and so I, I do think we've got to have brothers because we too are a part of the church. We've, we've got to have brothers who we can be honest with within our church family, because that's what we're asking of them that, that we can deal honestly with our sin um, and, and, and have them be in prayer for us, but also speak truth into our lives. And Trav, you know, you've been that guy for me at times. I mean, it wasn't too long ago, maybe a few months where, where I was sitting in the parking lot of our church and I, I was in tears going through some frustrations I had in my own heart. And, and so it does help with time to have other brothers in ministry, people outside of your situation, that, that you can lay your heart on the line with and be completely honest about where you're at. And so I'm thankful uh, for that, that you being that in my own life and how important that's been to keep that, going. That's reciprocal. There was a, there was a juncture about eight years ago where I called Neil and I said, brother, I'm done. I'm, I'm pulling the, I'm pulling the cord. I'm out. And he said, Trev, what else can we do? We're called. And he reminded me of what I knew, but what I needed to hear and it looks like when you review this, I'm not sure Patrick had that in those moments. And they're critical in a pastor's life. All right, for, for time's sake, brother, we got a segue now. Let's talk about what should a process of restoration look like when a pastor falls. And I love the way you put micro failures there. It, it, I was thinking about, I watched a series called Chernobyl about the Chernobyl meltdown. I don't know if anybody else saw it, but it goes way yeah, back. Uh, it goes way back to, you know, back to the eighties there where there was this uh, nuclear plant and really the failure happened in the build of the plant and not at that one moment. 
and in a similar fashion when a pastor has a as a moral breakdown or a, a failure that that you know it's a bit like a nuclear explosion in that church's life and you know here it is probably thousands of years before that place is inhabitable by human beings anymore in a similar fashion there's it's very toxic for all that are around but the failure was actually stages of failure before you had the big one that it's a slow gradual one all right let's say the the, the failure has happened driscoll uh, excuse me, uh, Darren Patrick says in here that he submitted himself to a restoration plan. But let me pump the brakes and say this. If a pastor has had a moral failing, does anyone stop to ask, what are we restoring them to? Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the first questions. Um, you definitely, you want to restore them first and foremost um, to God, to their relationship with God. And then from then on, I, it's hard to set any parameters early on. I think that's the first and foremost. And after that, you know, you work from there, but that's got to happen first. Yeah, I think part of that is, you know, when you start talking about restoration process, the mind immediately goes for men that have, have had to take a step back from ministry is, okay, well, how are we going to restore them back into the ministry? Better than first looking at the restoration step being, how are we going to have their relationship with Christ restored back to that place of intimacy uh, that they once knew and so that they can continue growing uh, greater in intimacy with Christ? Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, and let's see, I think three of us on here were, on, were in a recent um, recent team that tried to restore a brother and that, that, fell, that failed and it broke down. And, um, you know, there was issues of trying to jump into ministry too soon was I, in my opinion, was a sign and indicator that, you know, you want to talk about micro failures in some ways, there's got to be a lot of micro steps of restoration before you can even begin a conversation about putting a brother up. Um, when a pastor does fail, how much should the church divulge to the congregation of what's happened? Should it be just blanket statements? Should there be intimate details? What do you brothers think? What is a, where do you start when something like that happens and where does it end up ultimate? How much information does the church really need? I think they need to know enough that they can understand and support the decision that has been made at the very least, to ask, you know, this this brother to step back from ministry. I think when that step is made, that that local body, local church family, at least should be able to understand and know whether or not they support, you know, the action that's been taken when it's of such magnitude. Of course, you have other factors. When a pastor has a moral failing, his livelihood could now be in jeopardy. You know what I mean? As that's primarily how he makes his income. And then another reason I wanted Neil on here is because I want to ask this question, where should he be restored? Should he be restored at that same church? In the E-Free Church, they have a little bit of a different way of doing it. They have churches. What are those churches called in the E-Free denomination? Called recovery churches. Explain this to us. So, and, and I'm not 100% familiar with the process, so I, I hope I don't get it wrong. And I believe if you look up the Evangelical Free Church of America, recovery churches or recovery, pastor recovery process, you can find out more information. 
but essentially a pastor can enter into that process and 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 I do think they make some determinations about whether or not the the, the sin and the, the nature of the sin allows for them to seek restoration in their own local church or if they need to be removed to another church. But these recovery churches are set up to be aware of that pastor's presence in their midst. Um, I'm pretty sure there's some one-on-one -on -one conversations that go on between the pastor in the program and the, and the senior pastor of the given church. But that church is there to be a church home for that pastor. And again, remember, it's the pastor's family as well. That, that they're suddenly uprooted out of, of their known church home and, and, and taken away from all those things. And, and so they, they want to be a church home for that family as well and, and can partner with them in that process of recovery. So I think it's, it's a really helpful um, plan in place. And, and the goal is to restore pastors to ministry, but it, it's having a recovery church is, I know, just one piece of that process alongside of counseling dealing with sin issues and recovery that go into the restoration process. But I don't know the details of exactly how it all works. In my, I, I, correct me if I'm mistaken. I don't think we have anything like that in the SBC, do we? Well, uh, there's not anything with that clearly set up in our convention. There are some churches that are known for helping do that. I know that uh, Johnny Hunt's church used to, used to do something similar. Um, you know, I know, even talking to uh, somebody at the Tennessee Baptist Convention, they have money set aside that uh, uh, if there was some sort of failure, they could uh, offset some cost to bring a, a pastor on staff during some kind of process of restoration. But there's not a clear process or anything it, that, that, that is as structured as what Neil was talking about. Let me ask this question, though. I mean, I understand that, and in some ways that might be easier on the family, but in some ways I think that would be hard because didn't you tell me one time, Neil, that a lot of times they'll move these guys across state, won't they? Well, you know, and I don't know as much about that. I, I know that there was, a again, in the church I grew up at, another guy that was a part of the recovery process, and, and he was moved out into the suburbs of Chicago, probably about 45 minutes to an hour away from the church he served in. And so – so I, I think you could go a ways to end up in a recovery process. We, we had another gentleman um, that was a part of the free church that, that went from the Minneapolis area, and, and a part of it was family driven, but, but actually ended up in our community, which is a small town about three and a half hours away in Wisconsin, and, and was, was able to, to take part in a recovery process from there, which again, some of it involved being back in Minneapolis and, and going through counseling, but also some of it involved him meeting with our senior pastor and, and them doing some one-on-one -on -one counseling and discipleship as well. Yeah, but I guess I have a question of what is ultimately best for the soul care of that pastor and their family? Uh, I understand that model, and I understand the benefits that could be there, and the fact there could be a degree of anonymity. Not everybody's going to know what the sin is, and there's, there can be some comfort in that. But at the same token, I would almost argue that we're a little deficient on restoration as a whole in the church. And so would it not be to the pastor's benefit and perhaps to the church's benefit to actually keep them there and love them through it, not necessarily with an aim to restore them as pastor, but just to first get them on their feet with their relationship with Christ and keep them close to the church? Because I think it is all too often the fact that uh, when when sin is found among leaders in the church, I mean, it's like turning your keys, you're done, you're out, you know, immediately. And I guess, you know, you still take the keys away and still put some different sanctions on them, but should we just kick them to the curb or should they stay in the church where the moral failure happened? I, the hard part for me there is, is you've got to ask, what's the nature of that moral failure? 
And so, so again, the, the second instance that I, I experienced in my own church background was it was an instance of abuse. And, and there were a number of people who had gone through some level of victimization. And so for, for that pastor to, to remain in that body, I think would have been very hard on, on those who'd been through the abuse. And, and so I think that there, there was a level of separation needed for that purpose. The other question I would ask is, is for the pastor and for that church, how difficult, and I, again, I found this in my own life, when I would see the pastor I had growing up, my, my mental posture went to him as pastor. And so if you've got your senior pastor, even if he's been through a moral failing and he continues to be a part of your church, how many people are going to struggle with, with, with the posture of pastor versus the posture of brother in Christ? And, and, and so there may be a level of leadership given, even unintentionally, that might make the recovery process more difficult or, or just lead back into issues where sin could re-arise. I think that'd be a really hard thing, but I, I agree with your sentiment that, that you want to see guys able to be connected and equipped and built up where they are. Cause that's what the church should do. We don't want to farm out our, our sin, sin dealing with that. That scares me a little. Right. I think the issue is in a lot of cases kind of not really to, to, to disagree with you a little bit, but I, I, I think looking at at least, at least in our SBC churches, we don't see the pastor as part of the church. We don't see him as a member. He's the pastor. Even so I think that's what creates the issue of restoration of a pastor within a local body is because they don't treat him like a regular member. Mm-hmm. They don't see him as the brother in Christ that he is. They just see him as a pastor. They, they put him on a pedestal of something different than what he really is. Because even though he's the pastor and he's the shepherd, shepherd uh, he's a, a member of the local church. You, you cut out a little bit. You maybe make your last sentence one more time. Say that one more time. He is also a brother in Christ. That's right. First and foremost. Well, those are those are important points, and um, no doubt there can be there can be times that uh, perhaps partnering in ministry, as we often do for missions and other endeavors, while can't, we couldn't partner with a restoration part process as well. All right, brothers. Well, if you can believe it or not, we're actually running out of time right now. So uh, we need to kind of land the plane on this this episode of When a Pastor Fails. Um, I would like to say in closing that we uh, at the Appalachian Baptist Network podcast, we're not by any means hammering uh, Darren Patrick. Actually, I think all of us are thankful for the contributions that he has made to the kingdom. Uh, you know, godly men are still men at best. And so I think the positive impacts that uh, Darren Patrick had in my life and in the life of many of us will continue on and we will be forever grateful for those contributions and we'll be praying for the family. Uh, Any other closing um, comments or thoughts before we end this episode on when a pastor falls or fails in the pulpit? Yeah, I, I guess if I could say anything, and sorry I've spoken so much as a guest here, maybe may not see me back in the future, but 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 at the end of the day, even the pastor's moral failure and, and his leaving ministry and the pain that causes to the church can be a part of God's grace to deal with a serious sin issue that to that point has not been dealt with, because the pain here temporally, I believe, is better than the pain eternally of running from God and, and not being reconciled to him. And so, so God in his grace, I think, allows us sometimes to blow up our lives 
in order to be honest about the depth of the sin we're dealing with. And, and unfortunately, that's sometimes what it takes. Yeah. Has to blow up those little life rafts we create and cling to so that we'll cling to Christ first and foremost. Uh, yeah, this is true. I, I would say this. If you're listening to this and you're a lay person or a lay leader in the church, please, please understand that uh, your pastor is still just another sinner saved by grace like you are. He may have more training than you. He may have been more in the pulpit than you are. But at the end of the day, he is a sheep like you are under the great shepherd that is Jesus Christ. And so there is a need to show him both love and correction as is balanced in the New Testament, right? All right. Well, this is going to conclude our episode here on uh, when a pastor fails in the... uh... You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.